Welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you once again as we dig into God's Word, exploring the Proverbs. And we've been doing that this summer, thinking about Lady Wisdom, thinking about what she has to tell us. We encounter this figure throughout the Proverbs, and a lot of it sounds like a repetition, but it's building. And that's where we're going to be tonight. We're building. As we go to Proverbs 8, we're seeing something that covers a lot of the ground we've covered over the last few weeks looking at other chapters of Proverbs, but she's building. She's helping us to better understand what it looks like to seek after God's wisdom. And we could all use encouragement in that because as much as we'd like to think that we're following after what is wise, I, that's generally what human beings want to do. What, whatever we do, whether it's wise or not, we want to think we're chasing after wisdom. Lady Wisdom is going to encourage us to hold on to what really, really matters. It reminds me of going to an auction. Maybe you've gone to an online auction or an in-person auction, and you know that you're looking for certain things. We, we go sometimes just for fun. Sometimes we go looking for a specific item. We know it's going to be offered, or you go onto eBay, you, you can search and you pull up a particular auction, and you think, I, I need this. Sometimes I'll go on eBay looking for something for Little Hills that we need, and we can find a deal on there that maybe saves us some money over buying it from a more traditional retailer. So you find the item. It's perfect. It's, it's exactly what you've been looking for, whether it's just a normal everyday thing you could go buy elsewhere, or maybe a collectible that is available only in limited quantities. Maybe it's not even made anymore. So you find the thing, and, and then you have to decide an all-important question in an auction. How much am I willing to spend? How much is this really worth. And I've been in two different places on this. Sometimes I'll go on to eBay and I'll, I'll find something and I'll think, I would like to spend $12 on this. It's it's really worth $16. I'd like to save some money, so I will spend $12 on it. And, and so I, I bid $12. And one of the nice things about electronic auctions is you bid $12, but of course it only puts in initially what the minimum necessary to, to have the winning bid is. And so maybe it's 10 and then someone else bids. It goes up to 11 automatically. Still under my 12. And then all of a sudden someone bids 13. What am I going to do then? The item's worth 16. I really kind of want it because it's a collectible. And I, I know that I, I can't just go somewhere else and get it if I lose this auction. Now what am I going to do? Am I willing to spend 14 on it? I'm going to stop at 12. I said I only wanted to spend 12. And, and sometimes when I go into, into an auction, I think I really only wanted to spend $12. I'm done. It's over with. I'm going to stick to my principle. I only want to spend 12. Sometimes I'll think, but I really want this. I'm going to go ahead. I'll bid 14. And then it turns out that the person that bid 13 said that he or she would spend up to 15. Now I have to decide, am I willing to spend the full $16 on this or not? What am I going to do? Sometimes I'll say, ah, it's time to walk away. Sometimes I'll think, oh, okay, I'll just, just bid 16. Fine, it's done. 
sometimes we do that with wisdom as well. We 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 want wisdom. We want what's pleasing to God. We want to be Christ-like in our lives, and so we say, "I'm not going to do these things that violate God's principles. I'm going to stand firm on this or that matter." But there's other things we want. And as life goes on, we feel like we're being bid around. People are bidding on different aspects of what we want in life. And we have to decide, am I willing to bend here? Have I, I just set a suggestion? I only want to spend $12, but I'm really willing to spend $14. I, I'm going to stand on God's principle here, but I'm willing to fudge if it means I get what I want. Or are we going to stand firm? Lady Wisdom is going to encourage us in those moments where we need to stand firm, where what we said we're willing to do, what we know God's word is calling us to do, really is where we need to stop. But oh, it's so easy to click on that button and try to raise the bid, to go after it, because we think we want this thing or this, this outcome. Are we going to compromise? That's the big question. That's where we're going to be challenged tonight. So let's go ahead and ask God to give us strength because without his strength holding us back, we're going to go ahead and click that bid button. But let's ask God to help us not to. Let's pray. Father, please help us in every situation of life. We go through life and we read your word. We we hear what is good and pleasing. Sometimes it, it even seems just natural to us. This is what's good to do. This is what is righteous to do. But then we feel like people around us are bidding for happiness in life and seem to be willing to spend a little bit more, to give away a little bit of principle, to to achieve goals that, that seem like the things that we want too. And, and we have to decide, are we going to bend as well? Will we compromise for what seems like a victory? Lord, do you give us strength to hold fast to the things that you say are true and good? that we might reflect your goodness and we might experience something far better than anything we could win on this earth, which is the joy of being in fellowship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here is where we come down to in chapter 8. The beginning of chapter 8 feels somewhat like a review. Once again, we have wisdom calling to us, and, and wisdom is going to the, the places where people are to call out. In other words, that wisdom is highly available but we get a turn in verse 8, and let's go ahead and take a look at verse 8. It says, All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. You might say, well, that sounds good. If you said, I, I'm wisdom and I have twisted words and unrighteous deeds, we'd, we'd say, what happened to the Bible here? And rightly so. We would say, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't sound like how it should be. And yet, in our common sense, we often act as if that's what wisdom is really saying. Yes, we should be mostly righteous, but sometimes you have to bend things a little bit. Yes, we should be righteous, but if we have a hidden agenda to get what we really want in life, we're nice to people, but we're really trying to get them to where we want them to be, that's okay. Yes, we should be open and upfront and honest with people, but if we need to distort the truth just a little bit to make things work out right, that's okay, isn't it? Listen again to verse 8, what she says here. She says, all the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Nothing, not mostly, it's not 99% pulp-free righteousness here. This is 100% purified. That's what God's wisdom looks like. 
that what our wisdom looks like? Because here's the trouble with our wisdom. Our wisdom says, yeah, you should be mostly honest. It generally works out well, but we have to be shrewd as well. We have to, to put things in the right place so that it works out for us. Take a look at verse 13. We're told the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and per perverted speech I hate. So here we have Lady Wisdom. She said that all of her ways are righteous. What does she think of, of things that aren't righteous? She hates them, we're told. And yet, as Christians in our everyday life, while we believe that, how often is it that we're willing to bend the truth a little bit? Maybe you're watching tonight, you're not a believer, you, you, you haven't been to church in years or ever, because what do you see? You see too often that Christians are, are those who say this sort of thing, but we don't do it. And, and that comes down to a very simple fact. We're fallen, sinful people. We're, we're in the same boat with you. We're all together in this, that we are in a broken world and we do broken things. The key thing that you should look for if you're thinking, well, what is this church thing and should I be interested in it, is are the people willing to admit that? Are they willing to admit their flaws? Are they willing to own up to the fact that they fall short? And not just in a broad lip service sort of way. Most churches will say, yeah, we're sinners. Are we actually willing to live like that? Not to embrace the sin, not to say we're going to glory in the fact that we're sinners, but we're willing to actually humbly repent. We're willing to admit that we're wrong sometimes. We're willing to admit that sometimes we aren't looking very much like Jesus. That's what you should look for if you're considering getting involved in in Christianity. If you're thinking, well, maybe there's something to this. I don't know why I'm watching this tonight, but maybe there is. And if you've been in the church for years and, and you're thinking, I don't know, I'm discouraged. It seems like the criticisms of the church are, are true. Maybe I should go some, use my time somewhere else. Maybe that's God actually nudging you not to be satisfied with the unrighteousness that we often show each other. And where do we start in dealing with that? We start by looking at ourselves and we say, where is it that I am not actually showing God's righteousness in my life? Where am I saying I want to be wise? But I'm not doing what's described here. I'm not actually living a life where all my words are righteous and all my, my actions are, are straight and, and following what God calls me to do. We all get to do this on a, on an individual level every single day. We can wrestle with this every day, and we can ask God's Spirit to work in us every day to, to help us to, to be more righteous and to show more of His love. And we can also do it more broadly as Christians, as the church together. Over the years that we've been doing Steadfast Now, I've addressed at different times the scandals that happen in the church, the spiritual abuse we see in the church, and and some people probably shudder a little bit when I do. Why are you bringing that up? We need to not talk about that. We need to not give people a reason not to want to be a part of the church, not to want to be a part of the faith. It's so easy in this world to, to, to reject it. Why are you bringing up ammunition? It's often what's used as an excuse to cover up these things. But remember what, what Lady Wisdom says in verse 13. She hates evil. In other words, God's wisdom, his, his work in the world, God's presence in the world, what does he do as far as evil? He hates evil. And if we're going to seek the wise path, we have to hate evil too. That doesn't mean we hate people. 
but we should hate the evil that we see, especially, especially coming out of ourselves and the church. And, and so why do we talk about these things? Why should we talk about them? We should talk about them because we should say, we hate this even more than the worst critic of the church. Whoever hates the church the most and loves to glory in the fact that evil things sometimes come out of the church, we should hate that evil even more because we have a bigger motivation. We love Jesus. We, we want to glorify him. And, and when we cover up evil, when we say, well, you know, you just have to cover up the unrighteousness of God's people because that's how the world gets by. You just have to do a little PR work. Yeah, we should mostly not be crooked, but if there's a little crookedness going on in the background, that's just the way the world works. When we see that sort of attitude, we should reject it. Because that's not how wisdom works. That's not wisdom. It's worldly wisdom. But worldly wisdom is foolishness in God's eyes, just as much as God's wisdom often seems like foolishness in the world's eyes. Reminds me of if you're driving down the road and you find yourself behind a Jeep, and, and inevitably you're going to see something stuck to that Jeep, and it's going to maybe be over the tire cover if it's one of those Wranglers that's getting ready to go off the road. And it's going to say what? It's going to say it's a Jeep thing you wouldn't understand. Now, years ago, I had a Jeep, so I, I guess I can say I do understand. And there is something about driving a Jeep. And, you know, you look at the, the spec sheets and so on. It's a unique experience. You can't really describe it unless you've done it. So yeah, there's, there's a Jeep thing. And if you haven't driven it, you might not understand. Wisdom is sort of the same way. You see, if we're just going down the road of life driving our worldly wisdom sedan, and we look over at this this wisdom SUV over there. It looks like every other SUV on the road, and it looks like it sometimes works, but in fact, God's SUV looks like it breaks down a lot because it opens us up to criticism. It opens us up to, to scorn. It opens us up to people racing ahead of us. We say, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. What is Lady Wisdom here saying? Get in and try it out. Try out God's wisdom. Experience it. Experience what it's like to be in relationship to Jesus, even when it doesn't look like it makes a whole lot of sense. And here's the thing that happens. We start to experience God's love, and that transforms everything. Take a look, for example, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now here, Paul is addressing a matter of debate within the Corinthian church over who is really wise. There are those who, who say, well, idols are false. We can eat whatever we want. And, and that shows our wisdom. We know that those idols are false and that, that Jesus has triumphed over all. We can eat anything. It doesn't matter. And then there are those who've come out of idol worship and they're trying to be faithful or, or maybe they're longtime Jews and they've known that they should reject idol worship. They're trying to follow Jesus. Now they're, they're wrestling with this and they, they see the people eating meat sacrificed to idols. This, and that's usually what you get in the meat market in the ancient world. They see this and it looks like it's unfaithfulness and it's causing them to struggle in their faith. Paul says, you think you know so much, and maybe you even do. But what are you doing with it? Are you wrapping it in love? 
You see, God comes to us and we think we know a lot. We don't know nearly as much as we think we do. But what does he do? Even as he imparts his wisdom to us, he wraps it in love. Wisdom here in chapter 8, we're told once again, is calling out to us. We don't deserve that. Yet God's wisdom calls to us time and again. And so when we have knowledge, we, we acquire information. We acquire information by studying God's word. The question is, what are we going to do with it? Worldly wisdom says we use it to be shrewd and to get ahead. Worldly wisdom says, well, if I know a little bit more than someone else, maybe I can use that to my advantage over them. And in some sense, it's what the Corinthians were doing. They were saying, I know a little bit more about how idols work in the, the grand scheme of things. They're, they're just false. They have no power. And so I can eat this meat. Who cares if it causes someone else to struggle with their faith? I can do this. Paul says, you don't know as much as you think you do because you're missing the big point. You're not showing love to those around you. But what happens when we actually seek love instead? When we, when we say, the thing I want most in God's wisdom is to understand him and his love. We're known by God. That's the invitation we have here in chapter 8 as well. Are we going to seek after the way of wisdom and love, which is the way of true righteousness? Are we going to seek after the things that seem to give us an advantage in the moment? And oftentimes that worldly wisdom or God's wisdom sort of filtered through the world is easier to understand. But when we instead let it be filtered through God's love, we start to absorb the truth about it and how it really works. And, and here's the thing, and this is why Lady Wisdom can stand so firmly against unrighteousness, even when it seems like the shrewd wise person occasionally might use a little, little bit of it to get ahead. It's that righteousness seems to make sense. Righteousness, the righteousness thing, you will understand it once you seek it. Righteousness seems straight once we seek it. It, it. it fits because what we're really doing, we're not seeking after an it. We're seeking after a him. We're seeking after God. Take a look at verse 9. Lady Wisdom goes on, They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. So these paths that she's calling us to, they seem like they're winding all over the place. You'll never be able to navigate those until you get in the wisdom SUV and, and you climb into it and it can tackle the, the biggest, bumpiest road and make it smooth. You can get there. Big river, no problem. You can go through it, not because it's suddenly not a major deal, but because God's wisdom triumphs over those things. It doesn't make them go away enables us to do what we actually are called to do. Worldly wisdom instead says, well, you can't do that. Go and take the sin bridge over that river. That would work much better. It would go smoother for you. But as we seek wisdom, as we actually seek after God and what he's calling us to do, the more that we seek after him, the more that what he's calling us to seek after makes sense. You have to get in to begin with. Otherwise, we're just driving down the road, seeing the bumper sticker and saying, yeah, I I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. What happens though when we seek after him? Well, not only are we experiencing God's wisdom in our own lives, but then people start to see maybe we seem a little different. Maybe we seem a little weird. Maybe we seem like we're not really looking out for ourselves the way that a sensible person should. But as God's spirit works in those people's lives, they say, hmm. That sure looks better than the rat race I'm always in. Maybe there's something to this. 
That's what we see over and over again in scripture. It looks wrong in the moment because we think that we know better. We think we see an easier way. But in the end, God's wisdom is borne out as true. Take a look at Luke chapter 7. Jesus is addressing his critics and he says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus refers back to this picture of Lady Wisdom. And, and what does he have in mind there? Well, Jesus and John weren't really all that different. He describes some of the differences in, in why people critique them, but they both were coming at the same message. They weren't really disagreeing on things. They had different approaches. And so the critics found different ways to criticize them. And what Jesus was really getting to the heart of there, and I think this is really the heart of criticism throughout the ages, is that they weren't criticizing John's disciples for being too careful in what they ate or what they did. They weren't really focused. They didn't want to criticize Jesus' disciples because they were, were having too much to eat. That wasn't really the driving factor. It annoyed them. They were really annoyed by the message of the kingdom that they were both proclaiming, the, the essential core of God's wisdom. And they were finding these other things that they could latch onto and criticize. Because the core of it, the idea that we should renounce the, the worldly politicking, the, the worldly advantage, the, the ways that we get ahead and we manipulate even God's law. We were talking about that last night. The way we do these things to make things work for us. It looks like foolishness. And they wanted to find one of these little threads they could pull after and attack. Because they felt threatened. God's wisdom threatens people because it undermines the status quo that we want to hang on to and we spend our lives building up. And it looks foolish and it looks weak and it looks unprincipled at times. What? Weren't you just saying that... that Lady Wisdom says in verse 8 that everything that she does is righteous? Well, yes, but... True righteousness. True righteousness often, ironically, doesn't even look like righteousness to people because it's not harsh enough. It's not standing and, and setting the other people in their place enough. It's not doing the things the way that we would want to do it. And so quite often those who are actually seeking after God's wisdom, seeking to live a righteous life, will be accused of being unprincipled. Because ironically, as we hold more firmly to those things that we shouldn't let go of, as, as the auction's going and we're saying, I'm not going to bid the way the world does, people say, well, you must not really care. But we're actually holding on to what matters more. How do we tell where we need to hold on to? Well, we listen to wisdom's call. We come back to God's word over and over again. We read it and we ask God's spirit over and over, help me to understand we pay attention to God's commands, and we filter everything through those commands over and over again. Am I loving God in this? Am I loving my neighbor in this? If we realize that we're not doing one of those two things, then we should go back and say, well, am I actually bidding way more than I intended? Am I letting go of the bid principle that I shouldn't? Because quite often we are. And we think that we're getting something really good, and we're not. But as we hold on to God's righteousness, it, it builds, it builds on itself, and we start to appreciate it more and more, and we start to appreciate how God is working more and more. Sort of like good chocolate. 
My grandma loved good chocolate. She loved dessert in general, but she definitely was a chocolate aficionado, and she understood good chocolate. She understood the difference between some cheap box of chocolate and a really fine chocolate, and she appreciated it deeply. And some people, they'll go and they'll get the 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 plainest, most basic chocolate, and they think, well, what's wrong with this? Why isn't this just as good? Maybe it even in the moment you first bite into it, it's sweeter. It has more of a, it punches you sort of, it, it, your taste buds, it's there, and you think, well, this is fine. Then you bite into some chocolate truffle that's from imported from Europe, and you think, well, it doesn't strike me as much initially. But what happens is you you eat those more, as you appreciate a fine, true chocolate. Well, you start to notice all the nuances and the flavors that come as you're biting into it over time. It doesn't hit you all at once. It doesn't give you necessarily that immediate reward. And yet once you have it, you wonder how everyone else is just eating that other stuff. I was reading an article this week of someone from England contemplating how do Americans put up with the chocolate that we eat? Because Europeans are used to chocolate that has more cocoa in it and less sugar, and they don't understand how we put up with this stuff that seems almost like a pale imitation. Well, it's because we've gotten our taste buds used to it. And it gives that immediate reward. It doesn't give as much of a reward. So it is with worldly wisdom. It's like some a candy bar laced with tons and tons of sugar. It hits us with that sweetness right in the moment. Maybe it has a really bold flavor as you bite into it but it doesn't have the, the full reward of a rich European truffle. We shouldn't give up the truffles for a really cheap candy bar. Because here's the thing. Sometimes we give up the, the truffles and get the candy bar because we can't afford the truffles. But God's wisdom is calling to us. God's wisdom is saying, come here. It's, it's here for you to experience. And it's free. It's here because God loves you and wants you to have it. And yet we say, no thanks, I'll have the cheap candy bar anyway. How sad is that? As we appreciate that good chocolate, we realize that nuance adds something. God calls us to nuance in life as well. A lot of times his wisdom looks foolish because we want just something straightforward that we don't have to think a lot about. But God wants us to be thinking about how we love him, how we love our neighbors. And that does often require a nuance, not a lack of principle, but to get into the uncomfortable situations, to wrestle with it. But the reward is great as we bite into the, that rich, wonderful truffle of God's love. God's wisdom and righteousness are inseparable. And while the world says you can separate the two and sometimes you'll get ahead, sometimes you'll even defend righteousness by doing a little unrighteous act here and there. Maybe be a little unrighteous towards those heathens that aren't as righteous as you are. Put them in their place. But God's wisdom and his righteousness are inseparable. And if we think we're being wise by running from righteousness, if we think we're being wise when we compromise on righteousness, we're actually doing the opposite. Let's pray that God would help us to have the wisdom to go after the, the rich, rewarding truffle of his love. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, too often it seems like the, the faster reward, the more satisfying thing in the moment is to chase after worldly wisdom. We think we're chasing after your wisdom. We think that we're doing what you've called us to do. We even think of ourselves often as righteous. And it feels righteous because we can use our self-righteousness to, to build ourselves up and to tear others down. We can kind of 
think that we're somehow your warriors defending you as we do unrighteous acts, but we do them in your name. Maybe we cover up the unrighteousness in the church. But Lord, would you help us to be those who understand that there is no separation between your wisdom and your righteousness. And as we understand that, to be more like you, to show true righteousness to a world that desperately needs to see it. Well, we pray this and we ask for your guidance. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Well, I hope that this was an encouragement to you. As always, please consider giving us a like or a share. If you like our, our page, if you like this post, if you share it on your favorite social media, if you follow our YouTube channel, if you do these things, you actually are helping us to appear more frequently to others and giving them a chance to join us as we dig into God's Word. And, and I'm so grateful for the ways that you help by doing that. Speaking of the things that we have online, the technology we have online, there's a new feature on Faith Tree Grow I am excited to share with you tonight. We've been testing it for several months now, and I am so excited to introduce to you the, the new improved grow.faithtree.com. For several years now, you've been able to go to grow.faithtree.com and find past editions of Steadfast and Little Hills Sunday night sermons and sermons and devotionals from our friends at other local churches along with other similar resources and, of course, just a straightforward Bible search. But now we're introducing BibleBot AI. And, and all over the world, we're hearing about AI and machine learning and all this stuff. Well, why not use it to help us to dig into God's Word more? That's what we should do with all technology. We should use it to seek the wisdom of God. And so let me introduce it to you right now. You can go to grow.faithtree.com. And, for example, I just typed in John 1. I can search. And as you see, it generates a commentary live on the spot that relates to John 1. If I wanted to search just a few verses of John 1, I could say John 1, 1 to 4. I could do that, and it would generate a commentary relevant to that. Then I can pull up cross-references to other passages that are relevant. Click the Theology button, and it will generate references to, to ancient and modern theologians on the passage. You can even hit the literature button and it will help you to see poems and other literature that relate to the subject that we find in Scripture. Let's try tonight's passage, for example, Proverbs 8, 8 through 9. Go ahead and type that in. I, I didn't do this until now. This is kind of fun, though. What do you know? On the overview, here's a little overview of how we relate this passage to, to Christian theology. You can see there aren't any related devotional text yet because tonight's sermon is live. We haven't posted it yet, but it will be there maybe by the time you try this. But you can see here all this information. There's cross-references to other parts of Proverbs. Again, theological application. You can do all these things and see how it applies in different parts of life. There's literature that relates to to this very passage. There's something from William's word, William Wordsworth. So, Again, you can use this in so many ways. Here's Genesis chapter 1, and take a look, for example, on the related devotionals. There's past things we've covered. There's several years ago this week at Little Hills covering Genesis chapter 1. So there are so many resources, and, and the exciting thing with this new AI section in particular, I think, is that as we explore it together, you can type in any combination of chapters and verses, and it will generate commentary specific to the very part of Scripture you want to see. It's something that has never been offered before, and I truly believe it's a great way to take this new technology and use it 
to God's glory rather than all the other things it gets used for. So try it out, grow.faithtree.com. I can't wait to hear from you as you explore it. You do need to sign up for, if you haven't already, a free Little Hills slash Faithtree account. You can do that right on that page. And then you get several free searches a month. There's a lot of processing involved in doing AI, so we can't do it without people logging in first. But you get several free a month. And then um, for a small fee, you can do more if you really enjoy it. But please try it for free. I, I hope that this is a blessing to you. And I'm so excited to share it with you. If there's any way I can be praying for you this week, any questions you have, feel free to shoot a message to the text line that you can find right on the screen. It's great to hear from you. It's always so great to hear from you. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And I can't wait to see you again very soon.